Hi, my name is John Kim, and I'm a therapist who went through his own rebirth. I share my feelings and revelations. I believe in casual or clinical and with you instead of at you. I come unrehearsed on purpose because self-help doesn't have to be so complicated. He is a coach, a writer, and an activist. His coaching style tends toward the 12-step recovery perspective and, uh, and experience that saved his life and his livelihood almost 12 years ago. He is currently earning his ICF certification, and he participates actively in the TAT lab and loves the dialogue, um, which encourages everyone in the lab to be vulnerable as we share our life details. He believes that in hearing each other's stories, we find fellowship and healing. As a coach, he focuses on sex and love addiction, relationships, divorce, and the creative process. He still orbits the Hollywood life form, uh, at a relatively safe distance and has a wonderful time geeking out with his two teenage kids. Sean Cardinale. John Kim, thank you for having <laughs> me. How are you Dude, doing? I'm doing really well. You know, um, you are now officially, I think, my um, my oldest friend. I'm not talking about your age, but the friend that goes back the farthest. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say MC, but you go further, man. You go back, man. You were there. Uh, when I was married, holy the shit! Canteen, the Hollywood canteen. <laughs> yeah, you were there when I was. Look, you were there at the at the height of hip hop, two thousand one. Uh, yep. man, Dre, Biggie, the oh, the canteen, all that, um, and then electronica, and you had spoken word, and it was like when Metropolis on KCRW was starting to explode, right? Oh KCRW, man, all the music and vibe dude i'm i have very fond memories of the era that we we met in john kim i mean it's uh we both sort of stepped away from exactly that lifestyle of course especially you yeah but I, I have very fond memories man I, I really going to your place back in the day if anyone doesn't know john kim owned this hot spot right in the heart of hollywood called called the uh it was a hollywood canteen right yep it was a hollywood canteen and there was like an there was like a uh uh, an aerospace or what are they called? Aero, Air, airstream. Airstream was inside and there was grass on the dance floor and you had spoken word events that I was hosting. And When, uh, when, he, when he means grass, he's not talking about marijuana. He means uh, literally right. a lawn. Lawn, lawn. Yeah, yeah, lawn. <laughs> like it was like it was outside, inside. And I, you know what I think about that, man, overall is it was a good growing experience and it reminds me of a little slice like I got my own little slice of swingers life, you know, that, yeah. not swingers like seventies key party swingers, the movie with right. John Favreau and, and uh, Vince, uh, Vince Vaughn. So yeah. thank you for that. It was a good era, man. We were in our late twenties, dude. Like, mm -hmm. like it was early. It, it was a good era and it, and it ended at the perfect time. You know, yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm glad I didn't end up becoming, you know, 47 year old washed up club guy. Um, and, and, and if you're listening and you don't know my story, um, I, I, it wasn't, what happened was my parents, uh, bought this, uh, Italian restaurant, uh, after selling their Popeye's chicken and, uh, it was basically their life savings. So it was a little mom and pop shop, Italian restaurant in the post-production area of Hollywood and the lunches were great, but the nights were dead. And so I met this club promoter, um, and it was originally opened by uh, Richard Branston. So it was really cool. Yeah, that was his clubhouse. And so everything inside was Art Deco and it was stunning, right? But Hollywood at the time was uh, just kind of a shithole. It was an armpit. And so um, uh, this promoter was like, I could turn this into something. And we were kind of desperate and my parents just trusted me. And so we're like, do it. 
And this is when like, you know, Paris Hilton was a big deal. This is right. before the Kardashians. Right. Um, and you know what, within three months, um, you know, we put in a shark tank and we did all these crazy things. Right. Uh, he blew that shit up. And for about six months, it was very scenic. And this is, um, where, you know, Sean, John was coming around and, and we had a lot of other friends coming around. Um, and this is where you had the, you know, 400 people outside and about 40 people inside. Right. <laughs> right, right. Exclusivity. It had to look exclusive. Like, yeah. In. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but if you pull the curtain back, I was a struggling screenwriter. Uh, Sean was also screenwriting. And the memory I have of Sean is uh, not that whole club thing, but we would meet in the valley at a little coffee shop called called Lulu's. I think it was called Lulu's. Lulu's. Beehive. You'd beehive. And um, we try to make each other accountable so we could put in our screenwriting hours. Um, I did not have kids, to be fair. But every time we met, I remember I would be um, typing and I would look up and Sean would be knocked out. He would be sleeping. Um, sitting up sitting up sleeping and i would think dude every time we write like he's not getting anything done and now that now that i have an eight eight month old i'm yeah. like oh this is what sean was going through no way sean had two no kids and he was you were you in your 30s or 20s i tr- i it was uh, early 30s by then so we had known each other a couple of years by then um because yeah. i was my dad and and didn't have a partner when we first met and then by oh Oh, three, oh, four, oh, five, boom, kids, fatherhood, yeah. Oh, yeah. Crap, all the things. So and I, bad. and now I, I get want, it, dude. I want so badly to sit with you and do the work. Like you said, accountability, which to this day, I still do, whether it's by Zoom or in person, it still works, right? But I, dude, I was exhausted, as you, yeah. as you yourself now yeah. know, so. And also, at that time, weren't you um, uh, struggling with your addiction or no? Yes. And that's what I yeah. was going to segue. Nice segue. I was in, I was deep in my addiction Yeah, um, and, uh, and had no idea how to, how to get out. But I'll tell you this, when I stopped partying, like when I stopped showing up around, like you and I would meet at uh, Karma on Cahuenga or whatever mm-hmm. that was right by uh, Sunset or one of them, Hollywood. And now it's like, I don't know, Jack in the Box or something, but uh, we would meet at Karma. We'd meet at Lulu's. And so that was like the later years where I was trying to get more serious about writing, but John, I could never marry my, my intense, my passion for the writing could not hurdle the depths of the addiction. Like whatever, whatever, you know, the, 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 the saying is true. Whatever I put in front of my addiction, I will lose. And I did. Right. Right. So it was, it was tough, man. It was, it was, uh, it was, and I was going to say that when I stopped hanging around your club and with, uh, I won't name names, but other folks we were hanging out with, um, it was O2 and I'd partied hard for two years. Totally. Don't regret it to this day. Not even mm-hmm. to this day in sobriety. Do I regret it? I was with good friends. I was with, uh, you and that whole posse. But in 2002, Cinco de Mayo, I was sitting there. Everyone's in the next room. I had a Marina Del Rey apartment. Everyone's in the next room, like 15 people in our living room was blowing it up. Right. And I went to my bedroom and I sat there and I just took a breath and I was like, something, something's wrong. I don't don't want to party anymore. So I can, and I'm not, thankfully I'm not addicted to drugs or alcohol or, or, you know, prescription pills or anything like that. And my family, I come from alcoholics, but it was the porn and the, uh, unsafe sex and the unhealthy mm-hmm. relationships. That was my, that was my go-to. That was yeah. my act out. Yeah. And so I was sitting there and in my room and I was like, something's wrong. And it was Cinco de Mayo, right? Where all of California, 
half the country practically just explodes on like partying and beer and, you know, and all that stuff. And I just wasn't feeling it. And I was like, what is this? And it would be another, it was 08. So it'd be another six years and moving from LA to Albuquerque, New Mexico, where until where I would finally hit rock bottom. Marriage is like totally just being, you know, immolated, just totally just destroying, destroyed. My parenting's jacked up. My partnering's jacked up. Mm. And I called a, uh, sorry, I totally hijacked the conversation, but I, I called my therapist back out in LA, back where you were. She was in Beverly Hills, Karen, Brian. And to this day, I'll never forget this man. I was like, I was like, nothing's going right. I moved, which as you know, is a geographic. Like Mm -hmm. it's like, wherever you go, there you are. Like moving never solved anything. Like you got to change yourself, not your surroundings. Right. I mean, surroundings help, but you still have to work on you. So I called my old therapist, Karen, and I was like, Karen, I'm exploding with my wife. I'm terrible with the kids. I'm terrible with myself. I've lost jobs. I'm losing sleep. I can't stop acting out. And she's like, John, listen to someone who knows better than you. Get to a 12-step, get a therapist specifically for sex addiction, and get help. Mm. And she had said the same thing before, John, and other people said the same thing. And we had a couples counselor, and we had priests. Seriously, we had like exorcist priests. We had everybody. (laughs) You weren't ready to hear it. Right. And I just, I I had no receptivity. I just, I had heard it plenty of times. But when she said it that day, because I left my house, I just walked out. Is, or else I was going to like, they were going to call the cops. Like that's how bad things were getting. So I just walked out of the house, calmed down my rage, go to a park down the street. And she said that to me. And that day it hit and I looked up uh, SAA and I looked up about three different therapists. And I picked mm-hmm. one who is just now retiring, dude. He's given me like two months notice. And thank God, because like the last six months I've been like, Bill, I know you're getting out. You got to warn me. So Anyway, that was the turning point, right? That was the hit bottom. And now what? And um, about, I had about, I restarted my clock about a month in and then I've been, you know, abstinent since. So, uh, wow. How many years ago was that? So if I make it to the middle of next, if I make it to the middle of November, that'll be 12 years sobriety. That's amazing, man. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. You know, um, we have a lot of overlap. What, 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 uh, um, what side of your family is the addiction in? Is it well? It's funny that you ask that. So Cardinale, my last name is adopted, mm-hmm. and and it was and the addiction was bequeathed directly from directly from my my father. And I I guess I'm blowing him up by saying my name and saying all that, but it's truth, and I've also published on it. So right. it's my it's my story. I mean, I yeah you know, yeah yeah, it's theirs, but it's also mine. Yeah. So. so, anyway. so- so there's addiction on my dad's side as well. He's not well, with us anymore, but he was an alcoholic uh, functioning. And then, um, well, I guess my, my, my mom's dad was also an alcoholic. So there's addiction in my family as well. Yeah. And if I was to um, pick an addiction, uh, for me, it would also be uh, sex and love. Um, I, 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 I have no interest in um, drugs, you know, uh, anything like that, it, you know, alcohol doesn't do anything for, I turn red after two beers, <laughs> right. you know? So, right. but when it comes to sex and love, I mean, that's just pure dopamine for me. Yeah. Um, and then when I was married at one point, uh, our marriage was going South. My uh, ex-wife caught me on the computer, um, looking at porn, uh, and, and I wasn't doing it often. It was like, she just caught me at that one time and, and maybe like, you know, twice a month I, I would look at porn. 
Um, and for her coming from a super conservative uh, Christian background, it was like I cheated on her and I thought maybe I have a problem. And I, and so from then I went to, um, SAA meetings and I, I, I kind of went down that path and I realized that, um, I, you know, according to the definition of addiction and, and maybe everyone has a different one, but for me, it was like, is you, is what you're doing, uh, the love and sex, is it? out of control? Is it, you know, are you spending money on it? Are you, um, you know, not able to uh, run toward your own true north or build a healthy life life because of it? And that wasn't the case. So after doing a lot of meetings and, and therapy, I kind of uh, decided, you know, I am highly sexual and it definitely is on my, uh, that's the devil on my shoulder for sure. But I, I never fell into an active um, addiction right. with it. Yeah. Right. But, you know, right. I also know that we both have um, uh, been exposed to uh, pornographic images really young. You know, for right. me, it was, it was like 10 or 11. Nine, yep, it was nine. It was nine. It was literally, so that addiction was literally bequeathed to me. It was literally put right in front of me, changed my nervous system, changed yeah. the trajectory of my development psychologically yeah. and emotionally. And, you know, John, I will say <clears throat> as, as sort of a positive note, since we're sharing kind of the darker stuff, but as a positive note, when I'm at my most sublime, right, when I'm having conversations like this with you, when I'm in my coaching sessions or the group sessions on Tat Lab, um, you know, I can, I can be grateful for the addiction. It, mm-hmm. Now, it's not like that every day. Do not get me wrong, right? right like, right. And if, you, if you tell the dude who walked in scared shitless, you know, in 2008 going, Oh my God, who's going to be inside this room? What are they going to look like? Are they going to be skeevy? Do they have like, are, are mm-hmm. they gross? Or do they look like me? <laughs> Am I going to even relate? That guy would have no idea how to say what you're grateful. Yeah. But because of the entire process, like I wouldn't be without sobriety and without this whole gauntlet to get through. Right. And being put in that position in the first place as a kid, then I, then, then the journey is, is the, important part right like like i wouldn't have been even this spiritually attuned i wouldn't have been even this mindful of my you know my emotions you know how i interact with my kids my my ex-wife you know their stepdad my family members like how to set boundaries all the things that you talk about and we talk about as therapists or coaches every day like those are all amazing tools that i i might not have ever been receptive to if I wasn't first put in like that gauntlet of the addiction, right? Like yeah, I'd appreciate yeah. life and I'd write my scripts and, you know, maybe I'd still be in LA, but none of that matters. The hypotheticals don't matter. What matters now is, you know, now I can hear other people's stories as a coach and mirror back or relay back, deeply sympathize or empathize and, um, you know, help myself by hearing others and, and, and hopefully people in turn, you know, are, are aided, you know, in their journey by, um, you know, our interaction. Yeah. And and can't we, can't we also say the same thing about divorce? I don't know about you, but for me, um, when I was going through my divorce, that was the, that was my rock bottom. It was the hardest thing I've ever gone through. And yet if it wasn't for that, um, I wouldn't be doing this. Like I wouldn't, that, that was one of the greatest, catalyst in my life that made me uh, go back to school, become a therapist, start a blog and, and all of this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, a- amen to that too. And, and I, you know, the, the, because of the therapy and all the work done, you know, like I, P 
people even wonder to this day, John, they're like, are you and Camilla? Like, if she weren't married, I'm like, no, 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 dude, it's, it's not like that. It's like, she's beautiful. She's smart. The thing is, we respect each other. We had a, we had a really structured, careful divorce. And we also, you know, we exorcist. Okay, not exorcist, but, but like we did everything. And then we finally sat at the end of the bed one afternoon and we're just like, I love you. I love you too. But this does not, not work. And the key thing that Camilla said, I don't know about, about how you guys talked at the end of your divorce or the beginning, rather the decision itself. But like the key thing my ex said was, you know, I'm not myself, mm-hmm. you know, even with all the work that we do, it just, I don't react and, and, like my, and, and you be in a relationship and, and, you know, divorce and, and couples expert and all that probably have plenty to say about that, but that was such a key thing, man. Cause we did everything we could. And then we, when there was nothing left, we were like, okay, now, okay, now we can peacefully part ways. And yeah. so I'm, yeah, I'm blessed with that. Yeah. Yeah. Many divorces don't end that way. So I think you're really lucky that, um, that, uh, yes, it may have been sad, but it wasn't uh, a toxic ending, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. We didn't, we, we were very conscientious, a of the kids, right. Cause, right, cause really, right. who knows how much we'd be in touch without the children between us, you know, connecting us at the same time, we did get to a place of respect. We got out of the resentment that, you know, that resentment is just like acid, you know, it's yeah. like, yeah, it just burns through you. And so we were able to work through a lot of that still respect each other. Cause we really have a lot out of compassion, John, for the couples who literally do sit on other side of the gym, right? They're, they won't even sit next to each other while they're watching their kid. Right, going. right. The divorce that you guys had and the way that it ended, I, I really, I'm envious of because mine didn't end that way. But I think that uh, because you guys had kids, um, that was a huge factor. I know if we had kids, it, you know, it would have been different. We, we, we got all the way to the end of the line where we knew Right. Like every option, no stone was left unturned. Right. Right. So, yeah. There's definitely that the dynamic of the kids being there, keeping you together. But we also learned through all that therapy, even though we chose to split in the therapy and in the counseling and with the church and the spirituality, like all the tools we threw in, you know, allowed us to see our love for each other, even if it wasn't going to be couples, even if it wasn't going to be romantic love. It was, you know, we respect each other. And that's so much, you know, I'm, we're blessed in that. We're, I'm really grateful. We don't have that resentment like so many other couples do who are divorced. Yeah. And I got to say, um, if there's anything you guys should be proud of, it's that, that you guys did, did everything you could, you know, no stone left unturned. Most people uh, check out way before that, including myself. Yeah. Yeah. I hear it. I hear All right. It. So let's talk about your class. You teach love and sex addiction. Um Tell us about it. Tell, tell us about your class. Uh, people listening to this are either already in their lab or they're thinking about it, or they might, might have already taken your class and they want to get to know you better. Um, but, but, but for someone who's never taken it, tell me about your class. So what's really, what's funny to me about the class, what's fun and funny to me is that every Monday afternoon, right? We do like, it's like 4.30 here, 3.30 Pacific time. Every Monday afternoon, I jump on, and I've shared this with you before. I'm nervous. I'm like, what are we going to talk about? I have no idea. I'm going through like, uh, you know, Patrick Carnes, and I'm going through like, I'm thinking of like Melody Beattie, and I'm, I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. and I'll use this text. Oh, I'll grab my 12-step book, and there's some great stuff in there too. And inevitably, we just end up talking and sharing. And I open up the class now that way 
kind of on purpose because it's like if, if I'm for whatever reason insecure or something that day and I'm like, I don't know if people are going to want to talk about this, which is not the case anyway. But what I do is I share, I allow shares almost like 12 step at the beginning. I'm like, hey, does anyone want to check in? So people start to talk about the relationships they're in or, you know, if they feel like it's, it's, you know, powerless or unmanageable, which, which are the very super simplified 12 step versions of like, you know, what is an addiction, you know, am I powerless and that I can't stop, I can't stop having affairs, I can't stop having say, unprotected sex or going to prostitutes or illicit or I, you know, I can't stop masturbating. I can't stop looking at porn. That's the powerlessness, right? Mm -hmm. That's the one part of it. And then the other is the unmanageability, how that powerlessness affects my life. So I lost a job. I lost my relationship. I can't like the kids are sitting there in their diapers, like soiled. I'm not even paying attention to the world around me. I'm not eating enough. I'm not sleeping enough. I'm not taking care of myself. It's unmanageable because of the powerlessness. And so what's really awesome is that I don't even get to say that much half the time, you know, in, in the classes because people just share their stories. Yeah. And and then other people blow up the chat, right? Like one woman says something and then a dude jumps in and then another woman is like, I totally relate. And so we just talk about, you know, I think a big part of the class is, am I a sex and love addict? Because unlike uh, substance abuse, you know, behavioral addiction I have to leave it up to the people. I'm not right. calling that out on anybody. They, right. they have to decide if they've hit bottom, if they're about to, are they addicts? Are they compulsives? That's all on them. And, and that, and that's, that's great. That's, that's part of the process. So I think we just sit often week after week, John, and just share stories. And um, there's an incredible amount of vulnerability, you know, my big three. And I actually, you and I interviewed or, or you did a recording of me years ago and where I talked about in- intimacy, honesty, and trust. And those are the, the big three. We're trying to get back to, you know, can I grow trust in my relationship? Um, uh, can I be honest about if that's an issue or not, or if I have an issue, an addiction, a compulsion that is that is preventing that? And uh, what did I say? I said trust and honesty. And then intimacy, intimacy. yeah. Like, 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 can I function in this relationship in a healthy way? And if not, what can I do? And so even if I am an addict and I'm trying to get recovery, you, you, you have that trust and honesty to go through that process, you know, for yourself and also with a partner, you know, if you have a partner at the time um, and, and hopefully, you know, walk that, walk that path towards a more healthful sexuality. What is your definition of intimacy today? Let's see. Intimacy, I think, is it goes back to the other word. So they're the three big ones that I said, but it goes back to vulnerability. Mm-hmm. I think if I can allow myself to be vulnerable and put my, my, and go body to body. And I think you say it too, heart to heart, mm-hmm. right. Uh, mind to mind and really unveil myself and be with that person. That's intimacy. And it's scary as shit, but it's also beautiful, right? It's also wonderful. Right. So, so much of the addiction so much of the compulsions negate that. They divorce us from that physicality, that spirituality, that emotionality. They, they, they cut off all those ties. And so a big part of it, really, Patrick Carnes and these other like, you know, um, pioneers in the field, they say really sex and love addiction is, is like an intimacy dysfunction. It's you have broken, a broken sense of intimacy. Mm. You can't connect in that way. So it's connection. There's the short answer. Intimacy is honest, open connection. 
And, and that's the tough part, right? Like I have to be, it's, it's the paradox. I have to be vulnerable to feel strong, right? I have to like be totally (laughs) willing and open to then have the strength and the, and the, and the feel the, the bond of the relationship of a healthy relationship. Yeah. I think a lot of people think intimacy just means getting naked. Um, Intimacy means, you know, strong sexual chemistry, but sometimes um, we get naked to hide. Sometimes, uh, you know, the skin hunger and all of that, uh, you know, the, the, the hot sex, the crazy sex, the pornographic sex, that's um, we use it as a shield. We use it to um, not be truly intimate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, dude, this is maybe TMI, but I mean, I've, I've been there. Maybe you have, I've been like the spring break, crazy, whatever, dude, I was nowhere in that room. I wasn't even in that country at the time. Right. So yeah, I was there physically and it was like crazy and it was like, man, it's a party, but it's not. And that's also, you know, I'm learning from a couple of your other coaches, especially some of the sexologists and other intimacy and relationship coaches, you know, I also have to be careful when we're in my particular group, because I don't want to tell people like, well, just be prudish, you know, or just don't. Right. It's not, it's not about going to the opposite extreme. Right. Right. It's about healthy sexuality. You can be, you can be in a BDSM, you could be whatever your thing is, but as long as you're not, you know, uh, breaking your own mores or boundaries or your own sense of, you know, uh, integrity, and you're doing that, you know, openly and honestly with a partner. I mean, you know, it's it's we can have all these conversations, but but yeah, ju- just just the physicality doesn't mean anything without you know that's not true intimacy. I yeah. thought you were going to say you know you can do the skin thing, but you have to have sort of like emotional nakedness, right, or psychological, you know, nakedness. You have to be open in that way. Yeah, absolutely. I, I like, um, you know, I talk a lot about doing life with someone instead of at someone or around someone. So uh, that's always been kind of my, my, my thing. And so intimacy means doing life with someone and you can't do life with someone unless you are vulnerable, unless you're showing yourself. And it doesn't matter if we're talking about how your day went or, you know, dreams that you have. Um, when you are uh, in a, uh, an addict, you're doing life around. So you're hiding your addiction you're not being honest, you know, you're pretending, you're, you know, disconnecting all of that. Um, and also maybe sometimes you're doing life at, you know, controlling, yes. bl- blaming, um, but you're definitely not doing life with. Oh, yes. No, I, I do. I sloughed off so much of my stress. You know, um, Vanessa, your your wife and, 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 and a therapist too, you know, her codependence class, I advise, dude, I refer so many people in my class to hers and to go see your couples one if they want, and to go, you know, see Danae in relationships and singlehood. Mm-hmm. I'm like, just, just, you know, investigate, you know, go out to all the tat labs and speak to you because they can all overlap and inform one another. And so like Vanessa's, you know, saying codependence one day is an addiction. I was like, well, duh, there's coda, there's codependence anonymous. There's all, I'm like, yeah, it's all part of that. Like, am I hiding something Am I, am I deflecting, you know, because I'm holding, you know, it's like, um, who, who's the guy in uh, Lord of the Rings, man, uh, Smeagol, my precious or whatever. Mm, yeah. It's, it's yeah. like the addiction is that little, you're holding on to that, that precious ring or whatever and mm. uh, a secret 
and just 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 keep it to yourself and, and that just builds up the shame and the resentment and the insecurity and then you're lying and then you know yeah. blah, 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 blah. so but but if it's the opposite like you're saying if we're just open and, and we're with someone and can share our highs and our lows then hey there there's the good stuff yeah here's what i love about your class um because it's sex and love addiction right uh when you are uh going to meetings if you're going to just a, a saa sex uh sex addiction sex anonymous meeting it's mostly with men right and then when you go to uh a love at uh love and it's LA, yeah it's mostly women um i love that you have both genders i love that you've become a bridge and that you're creating a dialogue that uh uh reaches everyone and that you're throwing a bigger net a wider net why well, i appreciate that and it has surprised me that i do have men it predominates with women but then in one but then in the very next class i'll have like five guys, which would be more than a third, right? Mm -hmm. If it's a smaller class, like 12 mm -hmm. people. So yeah, I appreciate you saying that. And, and I think that does avail it to a wider scope. And even if the acting out is different, um, it's all relatable. It, right, it's all relatable. right. It's, it's less about the behavior, more yeah. about um, what's happening inside, you know? Right, right, right. Well, Sean, thank you for being a part of um, the lab. Uh, thank you for helping so many. And uh if you're listening to this, jump into his class. He also takes a, he does individual sessions as well. Um, what else? That's, that's just about it. I, I appreciate, you know, being a part of the community and working with you guys and I'm learning from the other coaches and I'm learning every yeah. week from the people who jump on. And again, I give people kudos, you know, I often am just like, Hey, thank you all for being here. I mean, the fact that you're even checking out my lab or any of the other labs you know, shows, you know, this curiosity, you want to do right by yourself. And that's mm -hmm. important for the people, for the clients to, you know, and the visitors to take that in. So uh, it's good. It's a good, good vibe. So awesome. thanks for having me, man. Yeah. I also appreciate you as a friend. Um, I also, I value our history, man. You're, you're the, uh, one of the few that has um, that, no, had that knows the old John Kim before he, uh, when he used to be miserable. So it's uh, it's cool, man. I see you as kind of the friend that, uh, you know, that that one day we'll sit on a porch drinking white wine coolers and <laughs> say, "Hey, remember, remember that one time?" I love, I love it. I will be there, especially if it's wine coolers, and I'll grow my beard out nice and long. And I appreciate you too, John. It's been a it's been a, a hell of a journey, and yeah. I mean the best way possible. So yeah. thank you. Yeah, we're gonna keep growing, and uh, guys, we will see you in the lab. Be well. <laughs>